Michelle Constant on SAFM. You are with SAFM 104 to 107. We've had a request for the gift of the giver's banking details. As you know, SABC and SAFM are working in close conjunction with them with regards to the KwaZulu-Natal Relief Fund. So uh, we'll put those out in a detail between now and 10 o'clock. Between now and 10 o'clock as well, we're chatting to our guest, uh, Dr. Paddy Lehotla. He is the former statistician general founder of the Pan-African Institute for Evidence, PI or PIE, research advisor and practitioner. And uh, he has been consulting to various different organizations, also most recently winning himself the recipient of an award at the commemoration of the 60th anniversary of the École Nationale Supérieure de Statistique d'Économie Appliquée, NCA in Abidjan, Côte d'Ivoire. So that is uh, another string to his bow, I think they say, or arrow to your bow. I never know if I'm just muddling up my metaphors for sure. Dr. Lehotla, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I know you must be pretty frazzled because yesterday, the 30th of uh, April, was the last day for the uh, people to engage with the Stats uh, Commission of the Stats SA. So we'll talk about that in a moment. But I think far more important than that is to ask your first choice song. What was it and why? Oh, well, uh, you know, uh, long before we spoke about, uh, uh, or rather at the same time as we spoke about Organization of African Unity, uh, Masatine and Mahotela Queens had already spoken about it and thanked uh, Mem Musul. Um, the, the lady who uh, uh, was the mountain queens uh, uh, had started composed this song, uh, which talks to African unity. So uh, when the African Union was started, it followed on the wisdom of Memsud and Masatini, who actually graced our 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 our, our stages both in South Africa and across the world. We talk about African unity and certainly one of the narratives that has followed you um, as a statistician, I'm sorry, it's a word that I can't seem to wrap my tongue around, so he's statistician general, (laughs) (laughs) but that, that, that has followed you with that, has been this idea of how we look at addressing statistics, not just in our country, but also on the African Union, and I mean on the African continent. How successful have we been? I know that you've uh, certainly engaged in that debate over many years. Where do you think we are at right now? Uh, what would I say? I don't know if you have the whole year to talk about. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> we have exactly uh, 15 the, minutes the, on the, this the topic. The moment <laughs> and tragedies of, uh, of statistics in Africa uh, and uh, what we are trying to do at the moment. Uh, well, I chaired what was called uh, uh, Africa Symposia for Statistical uh, Development, ESSD, uh, in order to revive uh, the statistics in Africa, which had been totally neglected by the African uh, Economic Commission for Africa. And uh, yeah. behind us and uh, leading us was uh, Minister Trevor Manuel, uh, who was responsible, a minister responsible for for statistics, although uh, as a statistician general, I operated independently. If you look at the law, 
you have responsible administrative disorder you get budget like the technical work uh, and then we also led politically on the front of uh, of, uh, of of statistics uh, and so was the president and they gave me latitude uh, to really uh, drive the agenda for statistics on the continent I think we are very successful from 2007 yeah. to 2014. Uh, Africa has not been performing well in conducting census. In fact, we fell as far below the par as uh, 33 countries out of the 50 countries. Uh, and uh, that continued. And when we started this Africa Symposium for Statistical Development, in the 2010 round, uh, we were able to have universal participation of African countries uh, in conducting uh, the census so that African leaders can take charge. I mean, there's no point saying you are in charge when you don't even know how many people you have. So yeah. there was a very substantive, but that meant I had to, uh, uh, fortunately, my successor, we are together on this journey, country to country, advancing uh, the, 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 the issue of uh, African unity. And the only way African unity can occur is when you have the number. They're not the numbers in terms of 1.2 billion, but the numbers in terms of understanding what they mean. You know, you mentioned this 1.2 billion, and then one has to think about um, how 1.2 billion, then you break it down, you break it down, break it down, and it comes down to one, which would be you or me. And in many ways, that's what the census is all about. It's about the you and the me. And I wonder if you could, for many of us uh, who, who did do the online uh, uh, census yes, by close of day yesterday, some people chose not to, some people were not able to do it, some people were not able to act as, but why is it important? Let's, I mean, it's closed now, it was the, yesterday was the last day, but why is it important for me or for you or for, you know, the man who drove my Uber for me this morning to get to work, why is that important? It is very, very important to participate in the census because you become visible. Visibility is crucial for yes. democracy. Uh, and then uh, it is also important that it is visible to yourself and it is visible to the other. So that when the government, which we provide authority to do certain things, needs to do them, then they rely on data. I'm sad to say that in South Africa, that's not been the case, although the data are available. That is a, a sad part of this, that we haven't seen the utilization of the data to the extent that one would have wished. We used, of course, for allocation of provincial and municipality grants and so on, uh, the, uh, 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 the, the equitable share uh, by municipality, by province, by department of education, by so on and so on in terms of social grants and uh, social services. But it is not used as an analytical tool to look ahead of what uh-huh. is going to happen. And when you don't use data and statistics to predict, then you cannot go far. You are neither gazing all the time. So, uh, yeah. But it's very important to participate because in the end, there may be better leaders than ourselves in the future. And they'll use this raft of data that has been collected all the time. And it will be very deep. It will be a very deep raft, sinking six kilometers in the ground. And then you can build a very beautiful South Africa. So uh, whether it's used or not used, not used sad, used very good. But even if it is not, in the future, it will be used. Because 
procedure be used to project. So the weakness in our system is that it's not used uh, that adequately. I'll tell you why, if you allow me, uh, why it is not used. Uh, uh, it is not used because we don't have tools of modeling. We don't have, the government doesn't have the tools to model. Uh, when business approached government now during COVID uh, with a laundry list of things uh, where they were saying, as business, we want to participate. And for the first time, business came to the party, wanted to come to the party. Uh, in the period of the, uh, President Becky and uh, President Mandela, business was reluctant, even when government was actually advancing things. Even when government was growing at six, I mean, it was, was enabling us to grow at six percent, business was still very reluctant and they're coy about things. This time around, they took a crisis, they wanted to come forward. But unfortunately, government doesn't have the tools hmm. that through which they can organize the information as a predictive instrument. There are tools that are MTS, and you think about government, and you think about safety. You must be thinking about 100 years, 60 years. And if you don't have the tools that show you line of sight for 60, 40 years, using this raft of data, then uh, you, you are not government. You know, I, sometimes I feel like maybe um, th- there might be other ways to like create graphs or whatever so that we all understand. Because as, as you say, these... these um, stats and that kind of thing they 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 they're tools to model and a little bit later we'll talk about scenario uh planning and and how modeling works in that kind of space but but if i'm just working on my day to day thing i'm i'm thinking of now the present and in, mm. in fact what i need to be able to see is the picture of a graph which shows there was this this and this 20 years ago this is where we are now i mean in much the same way that we talk about graphs of climate change we should be able to see those graphs as well. We have this, we have that. I mean, is it about um, how we communicate these these narratives and these stories so that all of us can engage, all of us can understand, all of us can see how important this is? Well, we need to. And the, the important part of that is that you want us to talk about scenarios later. But in fact, it starts with scenarios. Yeah. Because scenarios are non-threatening development communication tools yeah. where you look at the different options and what paths you could follow and what the consequences of any path would be. When you do that in the comfort of the present, it helps you to mobilize society behind the most desirable scenario. When you yeah. don't have that, then you stumble from one thing to the other. In fact, if you think about 1994, the scenario that influenced the decision to move to here away from RDP was the Montclair scenario. And in particular, it raised two important issues. The one was, is the transition on? The tick box was, it is on, certainly. The transition is on. Will it be fast enough? It was clear that it was going to be fast enough. In fact, when Christiane uh, was method uh, was assassinated, it sped up the transition. It was Nelson Mandela said the elections on this day next year or that day. And it sped up the transition. There was no way of going back. There was a third point, which was will this transition be popular? Will the economic policies be popular? And uh, then the RDP was seen largely as a populist uh, policy. And then here was to give meaning away from that populist uh, scenario because it was said to 
drive us towards Iskaros. And this is IMF World Bank starts, uh, where you have to, 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 to really constrain the way you run your fiscal. When they understand that uh, perhaps that was going to be possible, if you thought about what was happening around the time, Russia had just co- collapsed. China was not to be seen on the scene. And uh, the ANC or the, the liberation movement themselves were largely leftist. And then if you looked at Mozambique and Angola, there was nothing to, to learn from them uh, that would uh, guarantee that things may be better. But Russia followed the IMF well then. And what happened? It collapsed the whole Russian Federation. It collapsed uh, the, the life expectancy there. So we followed that, and we can see what the consequences are here. China was a lot more better to use the market economy. They said, our commanding line, our, our plans will generate markets that we can manage. It will not be a, a, a fundamental market of uh, milk and treatment. Uh, we fell into the milk and treatment plan. So I, I'm making this to say what was the force of the Montclair scenario. Just play, play in this picture. And, and then, of course, uh, in, 19, in 2002, President Beji realizing that they are, the year is not giving us the growth, shifted year into uh, the, the future, uh, the, the memories of the future. And the memories of the future then shifted the government policy away from here because here is growth employment and uh, re- redistribution. There was no growth uh, in here. There was no employment during here. Uh, the only thing that happened was some uh, redistribution of uh, housing and so on. But when the memory of the future came, which was another scenario, then we saw growth, and then we saw the employment growing. Uh, in that unemployment dropped from 29% to 22%, still very high unemployment, but growth yeah. touched percent. Then, uh, of course, uh, Pulukwani happened. And, of course, when Pulukwani happened, uh, the, the, the path that was being followed a change into something that was not clear. And then uh, that those scenarios were called memories of the future, and the memories of the future predicted to the date how it happened. Uh, only then we didn't know who would be the characters uh, that would be plunging us into a corrupt uh, system as we saw it. So these scenarios were very clear to us as to the father. He could see that. Uh, but unfortunately, the discussion around that stopped uh, in 2008, yeah. and they were never revisited. But also another weakness that was fundamentally there was that they were never quantified. And this is where the, the, the modeling and forward-looking is very crucial. This idea is uh, Dr. Paddy Lehotla is our guest, and we're talking about how do we model uh, into the future. And when we come back from his next song, we're going to be talking uh, with him and one of his guests about the idea of the Ndlulamiti scenarios. How far have they taken us? And it, it's interesting, Dr. Lehotla, that you say um, the, the um, memories of the future uh, scenarios in many ways, as you say, nailed it. And it does feel as though if we look at scenarios and scenario planning, so different views of the future, could we have this view, could we have that view, if this happens then maybe this particular future might happen, is how close we can sometimes get to what could happen. 
Indeed. I mean, uh, at the moment, uh, the, the, the scenarios that uh, we are looking at was uh, I mean, usually they are timed after uh, popular things like Karakata, which is a vendor, uh, the, the, the music in Karakata, and then uh, yes. Mubango. Uh, the Mubango scenario was predicted to the date, and uh, contained in that was that the ruling party, if it continued to behave the way it would under that Mubango scenario, which has actually emerged as we move towards Polokwane in 2008, that the ANC, as it approaches 2024 elections and the local government elections that start before it, will be saying we are sorry, society has betrayed us. The only thing that the ANC is not doing is to honestly say we are sorry. Yeah. And that says if they don't, then the country will plunge into a serious, even more serious crisis. And that's the crisis we are seeing now. And of course, the scenarios we want us to talk about, <laughs> we'll tell us that we'll take it from there. But it was to the date. The only thing that was not there was who will be playing what role. So I'm you can go. see that the uh, scenarios are, are, are done, uh, people become just uh, foolish agents in the game. Uh, hmm. uh, but there will be a Judas scenario. There will be that character. There will be that character. And when it was map scenario, when those characters emerge, you know that uh, this is where we are going to. Uh, and uh, as we go there, uh, there might be a point of no return. It sounds That's like a, a Shakespearean. It sounds yes. like a and Shakespearean. Then, uh, the last point I want to make is that, yeah. uh, unfortunately, the government scenarios uh, that uh, were led by Joel and ourselves as director general under the leadership of President Bush, the unfortunate part was they were not consulted broadly to business and society. Mm. They were largely in government, although they were published. There was no mechanism of popularizing them as tools of development communication. They were development communication tools, but not at the level of popular government. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Paddy Lehofla here is our guest for today. We're going to go into a second song. And when we come back, we'll also go to his guest who is going to join us to talk about how we look at the different scenarios. And as we move forward, we're going into 2024. We've got elections there, but we also move into 2030. What happens if we push that even further and uh, try to imagine a world in 2050? Some of us may not be around, but certainly our children will, which is absolutely critical. It's 931 I liked that you chose that particular track because if we look at Mohapolois, uh, my apologies, as a choral composer, in many ways that generation of choral composers and going way back in time was so much about the start um, of the ANC, the early days of the ANC as well. Well, they, 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 those chorista, the, 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 the composers, they were talking about the future. I mean, if you think about uh, what uh, you're seeing about, you're thinking yeah. about uh, the things that count in life, uh, love, culture, and so on and so on, and how you, this projects uh, through the, 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 the beautiful flower, Shui Shui, uh, which yes. is a sort of name for a particular flower. I don't know what it's English. Uh, and this is about preservation. But that yeah. preservation combines with life because he's speaking about this lady who is good, who looks like a flower. That has to be preserved, and uh, it belongs to the waterlands, the wetlands. 
So if you think about the SDGs now, and you think about Maslatini and Mahotela Queens and the SDGs, yeah. when they sing about the kings of Africa, sings about Lesotho, Lelitaka, I mean, he sings about the Maluti Mountains. Then he moves to Swaziland. And then he moves to Botswana. Botswana, So these guys are genuine that think beyond our navel gazing politics. Yeah. And that's yeah. where scenarios, and they are masters in scenarios. Coming back to the first question you asked about uh, the last day of the census today. I mean, this census is fantastic. It's digital, very, very powerful. Yeah. We can actually use elect, uh, uh, information technology to get better results. And what we need is to ensure that the technology, information technology, belongs to the commons rather than being privatized. Mm. I mean, uh, this yeah. is the key thing, because uh, if you look at 1.2 billion Africans, if they are connected, and they have rights to their information. We then have an economy that works. And what is fundamental here is that uh, the, the, the electronic and the technology uh, enables, us, enables us to access things. Uh, you, you, you don't have, it's not like bread. If you have a loaf of bread that you have eaten, I can't have that bread because you have eaten it. But in technology, we can use the same platform uh, both ourselves and many others, all at the same time. And uh, it is in the usage of the technology that the price actually even drops even further. That's where utility and utilization is and the value belongs yeah. in, in, in an expansive, generous economy. And that's where this technology is driving us towards. So it cannot be privatized because if it gets privatized, then everybody will be a slave. Yeah. You know, Dr. Lahotla, one of the things I thought when I was filling in the um, census online, and as you say, the power of technology in so many ways, is I thought there's there's a level of making people adults and making them responsible. Because if I hadn't gone and filled it in, the chances are I wouldn't have hooked up with a stats person and actually got it together and got my census together. So I had to kind of go, what will make me a citizen? A citizen is someone who participates. And by participating, I have to go and fill in that form. Do you think that, that um, it's about, it is about us growing up as citizens in this country? Indeed, it's about going to the well. My, my, my fundamental principle at StatSA, I said, we go to the well. Uh, yes, the well mm. may come to us through the pipe. But even when the pipe is there, you still have to open the tap. So yeah. that is the responsibility that we have. you go to the well. Don't wait for the well to come to you. And uh, that is what every citizen should do. If we did that, we wouldn't be in this mess that the country is in. Mm. Participate and engage. We're going yeah. to invite your first guest, uh, your, your only guest, but uh, wonderful guest. We've had her on the show before, and we, I'm a huge fan of her work as well. Kulelwa uh, Kashe. Katia, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate uh, you making the time and coming on board. Uh, good morning, Michelle, and good morning to the listeners. And thanks for inviting me, SG. As- thank you very much. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't have invited any better person. Kulelo, <laughs> <laughs> you, you are currently uh, uh, involved and, and driving at this point 
these extraordinary uh, inlulamiti scenarios. And we've been talking with um, Dr. Lahotla about the idea of how we look at to the future by imagining various different scenarios, imagining different um, different futures. Talk to us about those particular scenarios that have been created, just so the people who don't know about it can learn a little more. I'm sure it's Dr. Lhotla talking to the previous scenarios because I think it's important to point out that for South Africa, you know, the scenarios building exercises is like nothing new. As our own transition in 1994 was informed by the Mount Fleur scenarios and that's how mm-hmm. we imagined we, we, you know, our trajectory into the present. And there's been others that have taken place and now we are busy with the Inkulamiti scenarios that we're also looking at uh, renewing. And, I mean, I think the main impetus to us uh, building those scenarios, we realize that one way of engaging with the challenges that the country is facing is uh, through a long-term view, because we tend to be so, we have this challenges, we always react to things that have already happened and then we find that the solutions tend to be also short-term or uh, short-lived, rather. So with scenarios, you're allowed to have a long view. For example, the inflammatory scenarios that we're still busy with um, has a horizon that is set at uh, 2030. So we try to imagine a future using a very technical methodology. So it's not just us imagining things. You know, yes, there is the intuitive Side to the methodology, but then there's also the logic side where we conduct research and do modeling so that we can have the most accurate view of the various pathways that the country could uh, potentially take into the future. So that is the, the, the main logic to try and, as we look at the scenarios and we imagine that future, so that we can also try to come up with resilient solutions to you know, those imagined scenarios. And as you all know, it's not looking good at the moment. So those of us, for those of us who don't understand how a scenario works, try, can you explain it in, like, simple layman's terms, uh, how you would work? And also, um, you know, we're talking about the census and those stats. How do those stats fit in to creating different scenarios, and there are four different scenarios uh, within in Lulamiti. Talk to us about how they're, they're created, but in, in as laymanish terms as you possibly can, Lulela. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what we do is we first come up with the, what we call the key question. But even that key question, you know, it does require a lot of, you know, consultation so that we can agree what the main question we want to ask about the country so with the Inglamita scenarios, the key question was, what would a socially cohesive South Africa look like? And to what degree would that be attainable by 2030? So I've already mentioned that 2030 is our horizon. So we're looking forward to that year. And, uh, and then from that key question, then we break it down into smaller questions. And then we go out into society to you know conduct interviews with various people, whether they are captains of industry or people who are senior actors in government, uh, the labor union um, movement, civil society, young people, and just the general population of, you know, influencers and experts in various sectors. 
So we try to cover all the sectors, whether it's the economy or the arts and culture or, you know, whether it's about the politics. We engage with all the political parties that we have in the country. And their response to those questions that we ask, which remember are about social cohesion in South Africa by 2030, then we came up with key things, what we refer to as uh, variables. So those things are descriptions, the statements about the future. So we had about 25 uh, for Ingulamiti, a uh, statement about the country, you know, which way, whether it's about education or whether it's about the state of uh, unemployment or even the resentment that we have regarding our constitution and around uh, that area. Then we take those and we look at the ones we are most uncertain about. Because now, so if you want to look at Look at those things that you're not sure about. There are certain things that we know for sure, like climate change, that it's here, it's going to happen. So those, as much as they feature, but we're not as concerned as we are about things, for example, like um, how we would, uh, you know, engage with our history, where we come from, because we to show which direction that would take, or even, you know, the state of anything like those ones that we're not sure about, but we know will have the biggest impact, then we focus on those. And from those, then we start writing the storyline, much like a script for a film. Mm. So it is actually scenarios are drawn from, you know, that um, methodology that filmmakers would adopt in writing a script. So then that's when the creative part comes in. But also working with these experts, we try to then working with these issues of inequality, the constitutionalism, active citizenship, then how do we write a story to imagine the future? But also at the same time, we look at stats like what we spoke about, you know, results of a census, or stats essay, you know, in terms of unemployment, you know, demographics, and so on. So we infuse those. So it's not just a lot of things, not just imagining, it's not just creative, but at the same time, there's and sets that are infused in it to project what things would look like in that future. And we came up with three storylines. It's Dikupudra. Oh, I think I said four colleges. <laughs> and Naila Walk. And uh, yes, three scenarios. I was thinking four for some reason. I'm thinking of a triangle of a, nevertheless. Um, where are we? Which one are we most likely in right now? Well, I mean, uh, we don't like to use the term worst-case scenario, but Guaraguara is the one that most people uh, regard as being, you know, the most horrific scenario because they we're talking about a nation that's restless, a nation that is uh, uh, demoralized and disorder and decay. So it's also, you know, taking the trajectory from when it started, when there was the fees must fall. So if the thing is falling, the president must fall. This must fall to a point where the nation falls. So it's a total implosion of the country. So mm-hmm. through our barometer, which measures which scenarios we want, so far things uh, on been slipping deeper and deeper into Guaraguara as opposed to the other two, which are also not as, you know, uh, positive because the other one is Zipuja, which is a very, very divided nation with the elite and the poor. And the third one being Naila Walk, where we try to become citizens, you know, but uh, those are not as featured. What is featured is the state of lawlessness and a demoralized land of disorder and decay. Hmm. So I have a question for you, um, Dr. Lahotla, which hmm. is 
um, it comes from Max Mungero saying, actually came to us via Twitter saying, could you ask Dr. Lohotler why the availability of stats uh, from Stats SA is not enabling government to plan better, especially to address the three big challenges of unemployment, poverty and inequality. Can you ask him about these dangers, the dangers of these challenges vis-a-vis, he says, revolt and perhaps one could say the anger of the country? Well, uh, so I should answer that question. I guess uh, we need a, a whole year to answer that question. And uh, oh, no. <laughs> it, it, it's really about uh, what policy choices are made. And uh, if we can't look ahead, uh, we really are less likely to move anywhere. Uh, and uh, the policy choices that we have made are constraining us, particularly the 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 the, um, the uh, uh, continuing us to, to, to move forward, uh, that, 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 that's, that's, that's the problem. Let, let, let me elaborate on what I'm saying. We've modeled the three scenarios, the Guaraguara scenario, the Naila Walk scenario, and uh, the Isibuja scenario. Mm. By all counts, the government is hell-bound to plan on the Isibuja scenario, where we are a country of entries. Right now, the, the document on the table of the ENC is about privatization. So if it doesn't work, in fact, Naomi, Naomi Chomsky has a definition of how the pro-privatizers are about. Make sure that things don't work, get the people to be angry, and then privatize it and sell it for a song. In the name of that, they will turn it around. Private sector cannot turn things around. It can only do so when government leads. And when you read about uh, Wells, uh, this lady, um, Isabella Wells, Weber, her document, her paper, studying China versus Russia, the key issue was China chose a different path from Russia. Russia's inflation after the fall of the wall soared Unemployment went up because Milton Friedman advised Russia on a particular path which South Africa is following. He tried that with China. China said, wait a bit. We want an ever, uh, you know, they, 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 they didn't follow Russia and they, they saw what was happening in Russia. And China was very angry at its underdevelopment. They were saying, why are we so underdeveloped? We would be similarly angry at South Africa to be so underdeveloped, to be so much the way we are now. And I'm making these two examples because that's where you can see policy choices and the ability and the desire for the government to lead leads to a different path. And that this different path was possible in South Africa for a limited period of only four years, from 2003 to 2008. It was too short a period of time for sustained growth. We didn't sustain that approach. This was a, a little bit of a shift from uh, the IMF, World Bank-inspired austerity measures. Right now, the paper is saying, let us privatize. We are saying ESCOM doesn't work. ESCOM mm. used to work. Why would ESCOM fail to work? What is it that is making ESCOM to work, not to work? It's government interference in ESCOM. Uh, and, uh, and not even interference, uh, inability for a state-owned enterprise be governed 
So it is not a deficiency of that ESCOM. It is a deficiency of the political leadership. Apartheid you're going to be you're going to be chastised like Busi Mavuso. No, no, no. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I don't necessarily support Busi Mavuso in as far as her vouching for business, which is mm. what government is doing. But in as far as saying the government destroyed ESCOM, she is correct. Yeah. And this is why how governments that are neoliberal do what they do. They make, they, they, dis, they make sure that things don't work. People get angry, and then they sell these things. Some of these things happen without they are being aware. And that's why when you don't have a technocratic state at the political level, you have to appoint any minister, president, and everything. If they are not technocratic mm. in a complex system, they really will not perform. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the problem. That's the fundamental problem. They made the wrong choices. So there we go. That's uh, the answer to one of our listeners asking that particular one. Max Mungero, hope uh, that Dr. And, 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 and that's why, if you look at the scenarios, yeah. if we go to Naila Walk, it provides a set of policies, a combination of policies, ironically, that lead to the same targets as what business was suggesting to government two years ago. The issue yeah. that should have happened when business came to government, to the president, that the president should have locked everybody in the room, thrown away the key, and said, I want those targets met. Now, draft the path to that, and the path that I will be convinced by. Right now, what they are reviewing is accepting what business is saying without a path that says those targets will be met. So in a way, now that we are in a crisis, business will have everything to itself, and the poor will remain poor. And that's where the Guaraguara situation is taking us towards. Dr. Lahotla, you mentioned something interesting, this idea of locking everybody in the room. And this is something that we've chatted to Kolelwa about in depth before in the past. And it takes us back to how we really establish a real social compact where everybody, including civil society, including the third sector, including uh, public sector, private sector, but also including uh, just society in general, the informal sector as well. How do we bring everybody into that room? And lit- I mean, it's, it's a metaphor of locking the key, but and, and until everybody is able to figure it out. But do you believe that there is a way for us to do this? Well, I mean, uh, when you look at the three scenarios, Guaraguara, Inland, Sisibuzwa, uh, and uh, Walk. Yeah. That, those are the locks of the room. Hmm. Yes. So it, it must make the result obvious. Right now, what government is looking at privatizing, it's taking us to Guaraguara, deeper into Guaraguara because we are there. At best, it will take us to Isibuzo. Naila Walk provides a set of policies, and that's where we should engage, sit down around the table and say, let's hear what these people are saying. Yeah. And uh, it's not a mix of, uh, uh, you know, the, the problem is that when you bring people into the room, they want to add things up and get an average. No, it cannot be. It is considering all other views, but taking the best option of the views that have been expressed. And that's what Naila Walk provides. Any other 
which can lock us in a room and provide for a, a, a Guara Guara scenario, we lead to a Guara Guara scenario where you mix bring the policies together without actually administering them through a clear economic policy, policies that admire or at least consider motions of the economy. The motions, the laws of motion of the economy that we have chosen are about gravitating towards equilibrium. And they're gravitating yeah. towards equilibrium given by markets. That's what we have chosen. And we have removed human agency and the power of the state to guide the market, which is what uh, China was able uh, uh, to do. So, Dr. Lahotla and Kulelwa, in fact, I'll put this to you briefly, Kulelwa, because we do have to close. But mm-hmm. I, I, it's such this, this conversation is one that, that can go further. And I have no doubt that as people are listening to this conversation, there are people on the right, there are people on the left, there are some people are saying, that's ridiculous, there are some people are saying, that's exactly it. And there's that kind of confrontational adversarial approach to to what is not what you agree with, not you personally, but what I agree with or someone else agrees with. You've had to deal with that in all the work that you guys have been doing with the Nvlulamiti scenarios, trying to find that um, point where people are, maybe they don't necessarily agree, but they understand what the process is in order to do this process and to walk this walk together. What were some of your learnings briefly from that? Um, uh, thanks for that question, uh, um, uh, Michelle. For me, I think actually a, a big lesson in our history is that of sufficient consensus. Because we have such a diverse society, we will never find 100% consensus. So I think that has to be understood that, you know, spending time to try and get to get absolutely everyone to agree will not be possible. And that's actually, that was the approach to, towards uh, Codessa moment where not everyone agreed, but there was sufficient consensus. But also built into that, you know, I want to build, uh, to extend the conversation around capacity. So if you're going to steer a nation towards sufficient consensus, it, it requires capacity to lead, capacity mm. to plan and prioritize. And uh, uh, Dr. Lihot has touched on the, in, the lack of capacity within business, which, is, which nobody ever talks about. It's always about the state. But also there's no capacity for the citizens to hold state accountable. We have not taken time to actually engage with the idea of you know, that social re-engineering of our society so that we understand what citizenship means, how to hold the state accountable, even business if you consider our history, because these are the biggest beneficiaries of our history. So how do we reverse those things? And when it comes to planning and prioritization, this whole endless list of priorities, there's poverty, there's this, there's unemployment. We could maybe have very focused targets. You know, there's nations like Cuba where they would know that there would be one or two uh, uh, non-negotiables. And I believe inequality should be one of those for us because that is the yeah. biggest key driver towards uh, this Guaraguara scenario. The inequality. Yeah, we are unfortunately... We, lady, uh, ladies and gents, we are unfortunately going to have to end it there. It is 10 o'clock, which means we need to move into the to the news. I want to say thank you to Kulelwa Kashekatia from Mistra, but also the Ndlula Miti scenarios. Go and check them out. They are fascinating scenarios. And Dr. Paddy Lohotla, thank you so much uh, for joining us on the show and also for bringing us a very diverse selection of songs. We really appreciated that as well. 
Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks. Uh, thank you. Thank you. A great and speedy hour, unfortunately. There never feels like there's enough time. It's 10 o'clock. I want to say it's time for the news. It's no longer good morning. It's now goodbye.